I mean, you know, I'm sure there are Angmar stands out there. All right. I, I, I got a barrel blade. <laughs> no. Stop. <laughs> races. What are the races? What races exist in Wheel of Time, Ishan? I only know humans. Live from the Mundangerous Setting in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 289 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on campaign settings and talking about playing in the world of Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. But first the party confirms their suspicions in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Matt Cawthon lucks out again in the Character Creation Forge. But before we get to all that, uh, we have a small announcement to make. Our first bonus content is up right now or within a few minutes. Uh, Yeah, we're going to try a thing for a little bit uh, that we're calling Plot Hook of the Week. Uh, We're going to give you a a little plot hook every week. One of us will will come up with something. We'll sort of talk about what's the idea behind the plot hook. How can you use the plot hook, etc., etc., um, and let us know if you're into it or if you absolutely hate it or whatever. You are the ones literally paying for it, so we want to give you what you want. Um, but, uh, yeah, let us know. So you can check out our bonus content up on patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And uh, yeah, thank you to all the patrons who are supporting us. We are finally making good on a promise to give you something in return. Look at us. Look at us go. Tell your friends. All right, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Flamekeep, the seat of the Church of the Silver Flame, the party is hunting down a rogue sect of House Jurasco. They were summoned by Jayla Darren, the Keeper of the Flame and head of the Church of the Silver Flame. She's great. Uh Uh-huh. She and four others are in deep discussion when the party arrives. Their escort, the cleric Egan, introduces them to Diani Irwinarn, the blood regent of Therain, who would be the queen, except that there's that whole keeper thing in the way, because this is a theocracy. Uh, she's a human woman who does not seem to want to be here. And then with her are two attendants, Desaro Silvervane, a gruff dwarf, and Malak Athero, a human and the captain of the guard. The last person in the room is High Cardinal Crozen, head of the church's temporal affairs. Vesica, though, can once again hear the buzzing in his head that indicates the presence of a mind seed. The assembled nobles then interrogate the party about their part in the attack on the Keeper, and Cardinal Crozen insinuates that they must have carried out a false flag operation in in order to ingratiate themselves with the Keeper. Vesica tries to communicate telepathically with Jayla to explain the whole situation about how, like, we didn't do that and we weren't trying to murder you. Uh, But she replies telepathically back, saying that she will contact him later. Frustrated with all the secrecy, Warden blurts out their real intentions. (laughs) Warning everyone in the room that House Jurasco is conducting experiments in weaponized disease and explaining how they're investigating a breakaway sect of the house. I mean, look, there's a mindset in this room, definitely. The news is met with skepticism and ridicule. Maybe it's a little too crazy. Diani rolls her eyes and excuses herself. When she leaves, though, the buzzing continues unabated, and the party gets an idea. (laughs) Finally, Cardinal Crozen warns them not to leave the city and dismisses them. 
But that night, Jayla Darren appears to the party in a dream, where she says they may talk more freely. So, the party explains the full situation, holding nothing back, as you would if you were speaking to the Pope. Right, <laughs> as you would. And, and you were a member of the Pope's religion. Right. And the Pope was an 11-year-old girl who obviously you can trust. And came to you in your dreams. Mm-hmm, yeah. The Keeper seems concerned at their tale, but she admits that she's unsure of the full extent of the task that is before them. So, she recommends further research and grants them access to all of Flamekeep's records. In the morning, Egan takes them to the libraries. They search through books and scrolls, looking for incriminating information about suspected quarry, uh, focusing specifically on Diani's attendance. Lenore turns up one red flag. Malik Athero is the secret head of the Argentum, an organization that acquires powerful artifacts for use by the church. It seems that he's brought in a relatively large number of items from Riedra. After taking over the group, uh, once its former leader, Nistrum Shadar, went rogue. This session was all about uh, names from the previous campaign. Mm-hmm. Yep. And not trusting anybody. No. Except the guy that you know is going to die. Uh, right. Right. That guy's in the clear. Cardinal Crozen, you're cool. <laughs> Hoping to find equal success, Switch decides to trust to chance. She closes her eyes, spins in a circle, and walks with outstretched hands to blindly grope for a useful book. Uh, but she ends up walking longer than she expects without hitting anything. The others see her walk out the door and disappear around the corner. But when Warden follows and rounds the corner, she is gone. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. All right, so this week, we're doing the whole campaign setting thing where we talk about a campaign setting, we let you know a bunch about it, and then you and your group can decide if you want to play a game in that setting. And this time we're doing the Wheel of Time because Amazon is finally doing its series on it, and I have no idea how they're going to cram 14 books into anything resembling something that you could watch on television. Uh, one book per episode. Done. Done. Easy. One book per 22-minute episode. Yeah, the books are short, right? I mean, they're, they're quick reads, right? Because you can mostly skim them because yeah. the words don't really matter. Uh, this, of course, is your baby, Shane. So why don't you tell us about The Wheel of Time? Uh, the Wheel of Time is uh, a sprawling fantasy series by Robert Jordan set in a world governed by fate, beset by the creeping influence of darkness and defended by an all-female cabal of magic users. See? Uh, that, was that was great. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that is uh all that i know <laughs> except for like that one spoiler the one spoiler uh men who practice magic in the world invariably go insane and are hunted down before they can destroy the world um for a second time that shows up pretty quick it's full of political intrigue there's a lot of factional infighting international diplomacy um, it's a little Game of Thronesy in that way, uh, and weaponized magic, which I think we'll we'll get into later. The setting is extremely detailed, like thousands of pages detailed, perhaps too detailed. Yeah, and perhaps. The lore, and the lore is very deep. It also has several characteristics that lend itself to RPG play, so that's why we're covering it. You know, when you get to book eleven of your series and you're introducing new characters, <laughs> probably shouldn't have done that. No, probably shouldn't have died first. Mm. Hey, well, Brandon J. Sanderson uh, was 
able to finish uh, finish the series. Kevin Kevin J. Brandon Branderson. Sure. I get them confused. Brandon Sanderson is a better writer than Kevin J. Anderson. I'll just let you all know that right now, but that's a low bar. Okay. <laughs> all right. So the history. Uh, Robert Jordan used to write Conan novels. So that is the level of verse that you were dealing with. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, in 1984, he pitched an idea for a three-volume fantasy series to his editor at Tor. And knowing that Jordan had a tendency to go long, his editor gave him a contract for six books instead. It was great to be a white guy with connections in the 80s. Yeah, apparently. So at first, he tried to write about an older protagonist, but eventually gave up uh, in favor of a more traditional style. I would have read that series, totally. About an old guy? Yeah, an older protagonist who like knows what they're doing and isn't like, spending the first nine books figuring out how the world works you know someone who's like i know how to use magic i'm just going to do some magic well who's your who's your audience perspective character then if they uh, already know how the I, world works how how can they constantly be explained how the world works to them in the audience i don't need one of those because stuff just happens and then you're like oh that's how things work here oh okay uh how much of the black company did you read mm, i got through <laughs> uh -huh. four pages yeah, so you could tell it's a really good model. Just black comedy is not very good. Difficult, uh, difficult onboarding that series. Okay. Uh, anyway, so the Eye of the World, the first novel in the series, was published in 1990, and read by us some five years later, <laughs> for the last time. However, people loved it. It was so successful that the sequel was published later that same year, and then Robert Jordan wrote full time for the next decade up through the seventh book in his six-book series. Uh, at one point, there was a collectible card game, a video game, and a D20 RPG published by Wizards of the Coast uh, with a forward by Jordan himself. Um, of course there was. There was a D20 RPG for literally everything. Uh, this one came out in 2001. Um, it's a pretty good-looking book. I've, I've taken a, a look at it. Uh, apparently, Robert Jordan used to GM for his son and his son's friends. Um, he even wrote like a nice thing in the forward about how like, oh, my son's an artist and like his, his friends are successful people. And part of that is due to the fact that like they used to play D&D. &D. I mean, you know, that seems like correlation and not causation, but you know, it's uh -huh. a nice thing to say in 2001. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, although he does go on a little bit of a tirade about like how like if the dice said their characters died, then they died and there was none of this resurrection crap. Okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, he wrote a, an entire fantasy series about reincarnation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then in 2005, as he neared the planned end of the series, he was diagnosed with terminal heart disease. Uh, he finished the 11th book before dying. Uh, but the final book of the series was written by Brandon Sanderson uh, at the selection of his wife. Uh, based on extensive notes, apparently. Uh, amazing that there was material cut. Yeah, I mean, Sanderson eventually decided it couldn't be finished in a single book, so he split it into three, bringing the final total to 14 books and nearly 12,000 pages, plus also like a dozen prequels. Um, look, one good thing about the author being dead, not to make light of a man being dead, but like the series is done, the lore is complete, and you don't have to worry about new stuff changing things. Yeah, or like, you know, the author coming out, turning out to be a transphobe. Yeah, that's actually even worse. The author can't destroy the thing you love. Yeah. Uh, the Amazon series is coming out next month. So, you know, 
watched that. Uh, I don't know how closely it's going to adhere to the books. Obviously, we're going by the books. So let's get into a setting overview. Caveat, this is not comprehensive. It's 12,000 pages, okay? So, like, this is a high-level view. All right, so in the beginning... <laughs> <laughs> Billions of years ago, the creator made the world and set the wheel of time in motion to weave the strands of fate. It is turned by the one power, which I guess we'd call magic, which can be wielded by select men and women who are called channelers. Uh, the creator also trapped the Dark One, and after long eons, his prison was breached. The wheel spun out the dragon. Lose Theron Telamon. Lose Theron Telamon, a channeler of unmatched ability to defeat the Dark One, and he succeeded, but at great cost. The Dark One retaliated by tainting the male half of the source. Yes, you heard that, the male half of magic, we'll get into that. Uh, and after the battle was won, all male magic users began to go insane. They tore the entire world apart in their madness, leveling continents, boiling seas, and sending the world back into an age of darkness. 3,000 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing important happened, but our story begins. Hey, all that stuff was just prequel. <laughs> so the world has been rebuilt and has achieved a late Middle Ages, early Renaissance level of technology. Magic users are few and are rigidly controlled by the Aes Sedai, a group of women who use the one power to maintain order and fight the encroachment of the shadow. Uh, which is, I guess, the like creeping blight and terrible monsters that uh, are still being unleashed by the Dark One as he is continuing to grow his power. Yeah, you know, you're, you're orcs, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, at this point, no one remembers a time when male magic users weren't killed on sight. But, the dragon has been reborn, and he must gather the world to his banner once more, if he is to finally put an end to the Dark One's hold on the world. I just think that the Wheel of Time should have spit out a female dragon. Would have saved a whole lot of hassle. Okay, I mean, maybe we should just get into this now, but, like, yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm... It's it's a godlike tapestry of fate. I uh, like, anyway. Okay. 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 Wheel, all-knowing wheel that controls all the strands of fate of every human who ever lived and ever will live. Like, uh, if you make a dude, he's gonna go crazy. Why not not make a dude? You would think they just stop making magic dudes. Period. You know, <laughs> it'd be a lot easier, right? Like, why do we gotta kill all these guys? Like, it's just a whole bunch of dead strands in the. Anyway, okay, all what, right. We don't need to. What this is not the poking holes in wheel of times. Uh, episode. Well, we, we have a section for that later. <laughs> okay, this is the <laughs> wheel of time episode. So let's talk about some of the themes of wheel of time. All right, the first big one is the wheel of time itself. Every book begins with the same epigraph. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. So, like the the wheel is this this um story element, right? It weaves the lives of people and the strands of fate into something called the great pattern, which is like predestination. You know, in this world, fate and prophecy are real. Reincarnation is an actual fact. Um, your life is con maybe not fully controlled, but like governed and guided by forces beyond your control. This cyclic nature also means that history and myth usually end up being the same thing. And, and you know, like in the real world, most myths or, you know, children's stories or whatever, fairy tales have some element of truth to them. But in this world, they're often like 
literally true in ways that you don't understand until you have the full context. The extraordinary becomes the the ordinary, you know, like the devil, the literal devil, the dark one uh, is sealed in a hole near the North Pole and like sends out beast men to kill people. You can like you can go look at it. <laughs> the next theme is that some people are more important than others, just are more important. The wheel has chosen them to be more important. There are people called Taverin who inadvertently twist the pattern around themselves and the wheel uses them to guide or fix things. They're the only people who can really change fate. So if you're playing a game, does this remind you of, oh, I don't know, anybody who might be at your table? Guiding and fixing things? No. No, not at all. In, in no way. Um, but like, you know, Robert Jordan wrote into his entire novel series, PCs with plot armor. Yeah. Like he's, and, he's, uh, <laughs> and a GM right there at the table. Right. You know, who, who, it was like, oh, these very specific people and the people that they know, uh, because Taverin are often affected by other Taverin. Like you can have a Taverin and then the people who are near them are affected by those strands of fate twisting and then they also become Taverin. So like, that's just the party meeting in a tavern. Right, exactly. And like, why haven't they all been murdered? It's because the strands of fate twist so that arrow misses. That literally happens so many times in this series. Uh, well, touching on that to a degree, uh, another theme is that the world needs heroes. Um, the creator is a watchmaker. He made the world, he made the wheel, he sealed the dark one, and now he does not intervene. So evil is active and evil is powerful, so good needs champions. Yeah, this is very Eberron, right? Like, Sybaris is dead. You know, like, Sybaris is not going to help you or, like, hear your prayers. It's up to you to, like, go out there and fight the devils. Tiramaran is still there. Um, I mean, it it depends. Depends if you think she is. But, like, it's certainly not Forgotten Realms. There's no Elminster. There's no Mistra up in the sky you know, the third version of her or whatever, who's going to step in and fix things if the heroes screw it up. Like, if your party screws this up, well, I mean, the previous party did screw it up. They won and then they lost and then there was 3,000 years of darkness. Like, if you don't do anything, the null state is that bad guys win and then, like, the world is destroyed. Um, so one thing that didn't really strike me um, as a kid, but certainly strikes me more as an adult... Uh, is that gender equality is also another theme of the Wheel of Time. Um, because the only magic users have been women for millennia, they have much more equal station uh, everywhere in the world at all levels of society, certainly compared to like the, uh, the earthly equivalent um, of like that early Renaissance period. Yeah, it's a nice change of pace from almost every other setting, particularly gritty settings or like quote unquote realistic settings that want to institute, you know, archaic gender roles into a fantasy story. Like it, I think it was a good choice on the face of it for Jordan to say, like, I'm just going to get rid of that. Um, and he kind of leans sort of in the opposite direction at times and builds several matriarchal societies or matriarchal organizations anyway. Um mm -hmm. Maybe we'll talk a little bit later about, like, did he do a good job of it? Yeah. Well, you know, A for effort, I guess. It does allow for a reimagining of some of the power structures that you traditionally have in fantasy settings. Uh, and then one thing I really like, um, and this is also probably coming from an Eberron perspective, is you've got weaponized magic. Like, magic 
kind of works logically. I mean, I'm not going to say it's totally logical, right? Because it, it is like a, a story uh, rather than like a, a game with rules. But for example, there are different strands that a channeler can use to weave different kinds of magic. And an individual channeler might be stronger in some of those strands and weaker in some others. So if there's like a weave that they need to make that requires earth, fire, and spirit, that's really hard or maybe even impossible for a channeler who is bad at one of those, who like lacks the skill or ability to form one of those strands of the weave. That also means like, you know, you you are literally weaving. It's like it, you use strands of magic, you weave them together, but channelers can see these strands like as as like colored strands of magic sort of in the sky as someone else is channeling, but that means that you can see what they're doing, and if you're good, you can replicate it. You can like see their recipe for their magic. And then, because of that, uh, new methods of magic occur frequently, uh, often through experimentation or logical extension of you know the current knowledge or a known weave, so that it's constantly changing. Yeah, I think one example of this, and maybe my memory is fuzzy on this, but I remember. So there's a type of magic called traveling that involves opening a gate between two points in space. Um, and when that happens, you know, a doorway opens um, and whatever material was there before is now separated at like the atomic level. So if that happens in the middle of the air and you open a doorway and you step through it, it doesn't really matter, right? But if you open a, a doorway in like the middle of a rock, then like that rock now has a like monofilament cut in it, you know? Telefrag. Right. If you open up a gate in front of an enemy or in the middle of an enemy, then that person is now cut in half. Telefrag. <laughs> so you took these people who learned how to make these gates and they were like, oh, what if I use these offensively to murder people? And then they were like, okay, well, what if I spun the gates so that they opened and closed rapidly and also moved all around the battlefield? And then what if I attach them to each other into this sort of like, uh, it's not the teacups, but anyway, in a teacup type motion, right? So that you just turn the entire battlefield into a Cuisinart because all I'm doing is opening up teleportation gates. Sweet. Sucks to be a soldier. Yeah, it totally, totally does. On on either side, it sounds like. that. I also think that's why this is probably good in, in like an old version of D&D because &D, like the wizards are too strong. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, the world also has shared history. There's one creator, one religion, one common language. It was a unified utopia that was splintered. Yeah, so you've got you know ancient languages, you have extreme cultural differences, differences from nation to nation, but they all ultimately are drawing from the same source several thousand years ago, even if they don't know it. Because remember, this setting is technically post-apocalyptic. It's post-apocalyptic. post, post -apocalyptic yeah. <laughs> Or pre-apocalyptic. The Wheel of Time turns, Shane. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, there's ancient knowledge and magic scattered all around the world. And, you know, the characters just sort of traips around from ancient location to ancient location, picking up these magic items, just like a D&D &D party. Hmm. 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 Okay, so let's talk through some of the power groups in the setting. Obviously, there are nations yeah so they're the westlands which are i think it's 14 different nations um it's the northern hemisphere of the continent where most of the novels take place we are not going to get into every single one of these 
freaking nations, even though your character is probably going to be from one of them and it's really, it's really going to matter to them which one. Um, that doesn't really matter for this episode. But the continent is bounded on the, set, on, by, on the west and south by an ocean. Uh, on, on the east by the spine of the world and by the great blight to the north. It actually gets hotter the farther north, north you go because, like, you know, hell is hot, I guess. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then these are your typical spectrum of pseudo-European countries. So you've got your sparring monarchs, your, you know, varying variations on forms of government, your spheres of influence, power, you know, exposure to danger, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The countries near the north are like, oh, we must be on a wartime footing all the time because the the Trollocs invade constantly. And in the south, they're like, are, are Trollocs real? though honestly but have you seen our wine yeah yeah <laughs> they, they really could use a nato <laughs> um there's the aiel who are a desert dwellers with a historic grudge against the westlands um these are your fremen um i think there are a couple of dune parallels that that sort of scream out at me here um they're a completely separate culture from the westlands it's mostly based on like tribal affiliations and a partnership between, you know, the mostly men who run individual tribes and then only women magic users who are spiritual advisors. Um, and then they're constantly fighting against uh, the shadow spawn and then occasionally mounting, you know, entire wars against the Westlands. Because why not? And, you know, they have a secret history, but like every group really has a secret history in these books. Uh, then there are the Shanshan. Is that how to pronounce it? Is it Shanshan? It is Shanshan. Well, yep. I spent my childhood or whatever saying Seon Chan. Wait, so... that means you got you got to like book six at least. No, I did not. If I you assure got... you, I did not. <laughs> uh, I did not read that far. <laughs> I cannot say the same for my friends. So they're highly militarized. They're a pretty formal society. Think like King Arthur. Uh, they were a lost colony that prospered and has returned to the Westlands to conquer their former homeland. It's going to work out great. Uh, they're they're tough for me, honestly, because they, well, one, uh, slavery is very common in their society, but they also use a particularly pernicious form of slavery where they enslave channelers but the particular device used to rein in people's magical ability also basically brainwashes them. So in order to not be in constant debilitating pain, you have to want to be enslaved, essentially, which is just like, that was, that was a lot for me. Cool. Cool. Dudes always want to add slavery to their settings, don't they? Just like, let's just stick it in there. You know, Dudes we got rid of slavery. gender roles, but. <laughs> yeah. I do love slavery. Uh, okay. All right. Well, then there's the Aes Sedai, the, uh, the women who safeguard magical secrets, uh, have done so for thousands of years. They uh, swear a magical oath never to lie so that uh, people don't mistrust them. They can't lie. There are ways around that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I think it's fun to RP a character who can't technically lie. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the Bene Gesserit. I mean, uh, there's the Children of Light, a military order who believes that all channelers are evil. Huh? 
Yeah, that's fun. As you bring in the mage killers. I remember them from the beginning. They're in the beginning. Yes, they were. You were right. Uh, the Ashaman, who show up uh, later, who are men who can channel, uh, and that's there's some tension there since, you know, they tend to go insane and murder a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. But there's enough of them so that they they just kill the people who are going crazy before they get too crazy. Uh, and then there are the Forsaken, who are just the most powerful servants of the Dark One. Also uh, reincarnated or several thousand years old. So they're the ones who know all the secrets uh, about the previous age before it all got screwed up. Yeah, these are your Nazgul, right? Yeah, basically. Except they're hot. Like? I'm pretty I'm pretty sure they're all written as like very hot. Like temperature hot or? They can cast Balefire, so yes, but also okay. very attractive. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, mean, I guess the Nazgul aren't attractive. You're right. Well, I mean. You know, if that's your thing. I'm trying to think of the... They had faces at one point in the, in the series, but I don't remember in the movies. I mean, you know, I'm sure there are Angmar stands out there. All right. I, I, I got a barrel blade. <laughs> no. Stop. <laughs> races. What are the races? Extreme... What races exist in Wheel of Time, Ishan? I only ex- know humans. <laughs> Yeah, it's extraordinarily limited. It's basically humans. Um, there are ogiers, which are uh, adorable, seven foot tall fuzzballs who really like to study. Um, think they're like halflings, like like Tolkien hobbits, uh, crossed with D and D for Bolg. I don't remember them. Are they in the first two and a half books? I believe they are. But well, I believe. One is. There's like uh, one Ogier who shows up and has like glasses and books and it's like, greetings, good day, sir. I hear <laughs> I hear you're here to save the world. Uh then there are Trollocs, which are sort of misshapen beastmen, uh the orcs of the setting, right? Yeah, and like like we talked about in the in the orc episode, they're like the mindless horde. Like there's no redeeming them. I, I don't think there's any talk of like them having a culture or society, right? They're just sort of like created by the Dark One and then sent out to like murder and they don't stop murdering until they're murdered. Uh, and, you know, they like goat heads and ox heads and all those kinds of things. Um, and then there's the Mirdral who control the Trollocs uh, with fear and lashes and things like that. And they are terrifying, eyeless blade masters who it is impossible for a human to fight one-on-one. Probably not going to be player characters. Probably not. Um, they're also called Fades. I don't remember why. Ah, I do remember that. Yeah, the Fade. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like the one fade. fade shows up in like the first two books, and it's like it's like the obvious boss of this arc. Right, but that's a really cool name, though. Fade is a really cool name for a villain. That should be, like, make that a thing. Yeah, and then they're like, actually, my real name is Mirdral. And you're like, nope, yeah, let's okay. stick it to no, keep you it were fade. cooler as Fade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you should not fire your brand consultant at <laughs> this moment. <laughs> All right, how are you going to play a Wheel of Time game? Well, you're going to have to start by picking your system. Uh, you've already mentioned the Wheel of Time RPG, which is D20-based, right? So it's 3.5 D&D with the Wheel of Time skin. Right, and I mean, you know, it's got the... It's got the imprimatur of Robert Jordan, and it's got prestige classes specifically tied to the setting. You can be a warder, you can be nice to die, et cetera, et cetera. You can be a glee man, um, all those sorts of things. Uh, you know, it's got all the drawbacks of a of a third edition D and D setting, 
and like mm-hmm. uh and the the magic system is vancian which is not at all what the magic system is in the books but like that's i think the real problem with finding a system that you're going to play this game in like it needs to be high fantasy and you need a uh, like a a constitution based magic system where like you just keep casting till you get too tired or you die mm-hmm. but i don't know i don't know too many of those especially ones that work well hear me out okay dungeon world i mean yeah go the much more narrative route you all have to be experts in the setting <laughs> but at least that part will work I mean, if you're playing a Wheel of Time game, I'm sure you're all experts in the setting. That's like... a good point. <laughs> nobody's nobody's dipping a toe into this end of the of the pool. That's for sure. And like I mentioned before, I think it can work with older versions of D and D, or you know, just older um, systems where no one was concerned about the power curve. Like you could have overpowered magic users, and that was fine because you didn't have a ton of them. Uh, but also at low levels, magic users are easily killed. And like that's the way this setting works. You know, if you have a powerful channeler, they can kill an entire army. But at low levels where they're not that great, even like pretty strong ones, like you have 20, 20 people with longbows are going to take them out. Like they can't stop that many arrows. Right. That's also how you kill the Trask. <laughs> who's a low level uh, channeler. Next up, you're going to want to pick a point in the timeline. Uh, whether that's, you know, ancient, modern, uh, you know, whether that is directly sort of, uh, parallel to the, uh, to the story of, is it a spoiler if I say the story of the dragon? No, I don't think so. It's like the first book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, you know, if you're going to, you're going to stay adjacent to the story of the dragon reborn, like, you know, pick that point in the timeline. Um, definitely worth signposting to your players on account of they probably care very deeply about this lore. Uh, like I said, this is not the type of thing that people are going to wade into lightly. Um, the group that wants to play this probably knows a lot and likes it. Um, yeah, I mean, the lore is so complete that you have you have an existing world. You can play whenever. You can play like 20 years before the books start in the Aiel War or, you know, a thousand years before during the Trolloc Wars or whatever, you know? Um, and then, you know, you can make up most of that stuff. And if you've read the entire series, you could even do it like afterward, after the series is over and, you know, you're like re- trying to rebuild society. Right. I think like you, you also want to pick the scope of your story. Like how much can you affect? You know, like this is the story of Randolph Thor and his friends who are go- on a quest to save the world, right? Like they're the protagonists. So like, are you going to be part of Randolph Thor's retinue? Um, or are you telling a much smaller story that's taking place adjacent to that and you're, you're not out to save the world? And if you are going to save the world, then you, you really need to figure out like how you fit into the story. It's a, it's a lot like playing a Star Wars game, right? Like you can't blow up the Death Star. Although, I mean, if you do blow up the Death Star, then like where's Lando and Luke and all this, you know? Right. Well, this is the untold story. Right, the real story. There's no way that he could have made that shot. It was an inside job. Yeah. I think one way it can work with the whole Wheel of Time conceit is if Randolph Thor dies prematurely, then the wheel probably just spins out another one. Right. Um, yeah, it would almost be like an alternate 
timeline or uh or maybe the next cycle yeah or maybe you kill randall thor let's talk about some of the caveats and concerns with playing uh wheel of time <laughs> um i think the first one maybe the most obvious one is the amazon problem um hey there's like power structures controlled by women and even some matriarchal organizations cool but like they're they were written by a man so like you've got this man writing what he thinks women in power would be like and often they come across as reskinned men mm -hmm. who are just like doing the same thing that uh, th there's a lot of like uh machiavellian like literally machiavellian plotting and like factional infighting that's going on and, and you're just like this is just the same stuff you just said that women were in charge you didn't like reimagine what building society back from the ground up when only women can use magic like what would that would actually look like right and of course that also means that like there's an oversized importance of gender specifically like whatever the gender is like magic apparently has genitals because like it, it really cares what you're packing in your pants before it lets you like use magic like there's 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 Saidin and there's Saidar and like never the twain shall meet and like that to me just screams like there is no room for a non-binary character in Wheel of Time stories. Certainly not with magic. Right. So uh, how do you even like interact with that? So and it that means either you were like figuring out how a non-binary or trans character would interact with the one power in like the a game that you're running. Or you're ignoring the gender differences written into the lore, but then you have to like really dig down deep to like rewrite that stuff, and that that's a a ton of work, and it feels to me like it's just not worth it. Right, it's almost almost like a premise rejection, right? It's like it's rewriting too much of the series or too much of the the setting, even if you're rewriting the bad parts. Yeah, like it feels like just go play a setting that didn't tell you you're not welcome here. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, which is which is also, I mean, I think kind of a similar thing with the slavery aspect, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and just the general sort of dark tone that the series takes uh, over time. All right, so the question we ask after all of these setting episodes. Shane, would you play a Wheel of Time game? Um... Yeah, sure. I'd play a Wheel of Time game. Uh, I don't know nearly enough about it to be like to be that player at the table. But like with a table of people who really liked it, I could have some fun with it. I could I could figure out enough to uh, fumble my way through as the uh, the audience perspective character. Probably <laughs> you'll be from the two rivers, and you'll be learning as you go. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm the Dragon Reborn. I'm just saying I'm like the Dragon Reborn and that I also <laughs> don't know anything that's going on here. Could you please explain it to me? And that I am also slowly going mad. Uh, also, I'm not that slowly. <laughs> How about you, Ishan? Would you play in a Wheel of Time game? Are you running a Wheel of Time game for us next? Definitely not running a Wheel of Time game. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I would. Uh, there are a lot of other settings I think I'd probably rather play a game in. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Amazon series is going to, like, reignite my, like, love of the setting. Um, but, yeah, I'd be into it. I think partially because, like, I am much less invested in this setting than I am Tolkien um, or Eberron, obviously. Um, so, like, I'm not going to be upset if people are doing it wrong. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I won't, I won't, won't know or two won't care. And like, we'll just like go with the flow of it. And like, there are a lot of elements in this setting that I think can be a lot of fun if you don't dig down too deeply. So like, it's great to just throw out the whole gender roles thing, you know, and, and just say like, it, it doesn't matter. And like, we did that. We do that when we play 40 K, right. Which is just like rife with gender lore crap. Yeah. I, I think not to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like, mm-hmm. I do think the framing device of Wheel of Time is really interesting, right? Like, the idea that there is a role of a game master more or less written into the setting, mm-hmm. right? That the that the the narrative hand that the game master lends to the game is codified as the wheel um, and, and the tapestry. Like, I, I think that's actually really interesting. And, like, I, I think a game that is sort of lampshading that would be really interesting whether or not it's wheel of time itself or you know heavily borrowing slash stealing that concept like i think that's a really interesting way to frame the game master's role in an epic fantasy story (laughs) um and so like that's something that like i would be very down to like play with right even if it weren't necessarily a true wheel of time game it's interesting that you mentioned that because in the books, like the wheel is often sort of thought of or depicted in some ways as antagonistic, at least toward like your own wants and desires. You know, like I want to do this thing with my life. And the wheel is like, no, I made a role for you. And like, you got to keep the pattern intact or the world ends, mm-hmm. you know, which like is kind of like a GM being like, I made a plot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys aren't doing my dungeon. <laughs> you said you wanted to go to a dungeon. So I made a dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> don't now tell me that you don't want to do dungeons. Yeah, obviously, like anything, it could, it could be heavy-handed and detrimental. But I, I, I don't know. I just think that's like it's such an obvious invitation to the GM to like directly imprint the world, right? And mm. not not try to like subtly manipulate the world the way that GMs often have to. Like, I, I don't know. I think that's interesting if you played with that. Yeah, you have a narrative device where you can be like, oh, why'd this thing happen? The wheel, duh. Right. (laughs) Or I'm rolling dice because I don't know what the wheel wants. So you heard it here first. Uh, That's two will plays. Well, a wood play and a caveated wood play. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well... I'm declining invites is what I'm saying. If I'm invited, I'm declining. (laughs) You know, if Rosamund Pike delivers a stellar performance, maybe my answer changes. Oh, Rosamund we'll Pike is in this series? Yeah, she's Maureen. All right, you have my attention. Right? She's fantastic. I agree. Uh, I could actually, I yeah, wow. That feels like really good casting uh, from what little <laughs> I even remember. I, I was like, I mean, she's got ageless ice to die face down, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Do you hear that, Ishan? It's the sound of Rosamund Pike's casting. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's it's uh, the Emmy that Rosamund Pike's makeup artist is probably going to get for this series. All right. Well, let's move on to the character creation forge and see what we can make up. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. You can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. 
We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, Ishan, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Matt Coffin. Do you remember him from nope. the books? No. <laughs> Is he one of the companions? <laughs> this one. Yeah. He's, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, and the other guy is uh, Aram, you were right. It's Perrin Ibarra who can talk to wolves. Oh, I remember Perrin. Yeah, mm -hmm. he has golden Perrin's eyes and he uses an axe or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he has like wolf eyes, right? Or blacksmith. He's a blacksmith, he uses a hammer, that's it. That's right. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Matt, Matt guy. is like the third of the best friend trio with Perrin and Rand. Oh, that sucks. He's the, uh, he's the, uh, the, 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 the Ron Weasley. <laughs> actually he's the dandy uh who quickly become he's the gambler actually he's the becomes the luckiest man alive so he's a taverin who twists fate in his favor um like literally nothing can go wrong for him so i don't know if you do you remember deadpool uh domino like uh, I mean, um her power is like is basically like good luck uh, and in, in the Deadpool movie, she's like, I don't know, I'm going to parachute out of this plane and like land in the driver's seat of a moving truck. And like she does it through an unlikely set of circumstances. Like that's Matt Coffin. Is that the Deadpool sequel? Was that Deadpool 2? I don't remember. It was in one of the Deadpool movies. I cannot believe that you saw two Deadpool movies, Ishan. That feels very off-brand for you. I... Uh, love Ryan Reynolds. All of Ryan you Reynolds. Canon, love Ryan yeah. Reynolds. Van Wilder was a turning point for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he also spent the better part of a decade in college. Yeah, as somebody who spent <laughs> the better part of a decade in college, me too. <laughs> all right. So, what is the build? It is Battlemaster Fighter Six, Divination Wizard Two, Divine Soul Sorcerer One, Mastermind Rogue Eleven, and I apologize for not going Warlock Six to get. Dark One's own luck, which is literally what Matt Cawthon has, but I just can't justify like nine levels of spellcaster when he definitely is not a spellcaster. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, <laughs> this is Wheel of Time, so he's going to be human. And if he's going to be human, he's going to be a variant human. And if he's the luckiest man alive, then he's going to be a variant human with the lucky feet. I'll go ahead and check that box for you. Bingo. Thank you. Um, other The other feat I think he'll take eventually is skilled. That can come later to represent all the past memories of military commanders that he gains uh, by playing the Fox and Snakes game. <laughs> I, yeah, cool. Great. Cool. Cool. Whoosh. Whoosh. All right. Let's kick it off with Rogue One because, of course, for expertise and a little sneak attack, um, he's a good fighter. Uh, people kind of sleep on Matt Cawthon's fighting abilities, and that's why we'll get Battlemaster Battle later. But even before he's got all the memories, um, he's he's good. Then we're going to dip a little bit into Sorcerer 1. These we will reflavor. Um, Divine Soul means you can take Cleric spells, so we're going to take some Guidance, which uh, is going to put you know a D4 in your favor. Uh, Bless, which is going to do the same thing. And then you get the ability favored by the gods. Once a rest, if you fail a, an attack or a saving throw, you can add plus two D4. All right, then we'll take our two levels of Divination Wizard. We'll, of course, get Portent, which lets you pre-roll D20 and substitute. You'll have to reflavor these spells as well, but you're only getting first level spells. And remember, one of like Matt's main abilities is the medallion he has that completely negates magic used against him. 
That's not a thing you can completely emulate in D&D, &D, uh, but spells like shield or absorb elements can um, show how like the, you know, magic or um, the magic is blunted against you or uh, things like arrows miss you because of your fate manipulation ability. Next, we'll take six levels of fighter. That would give us uh, weapon proficiency, medium armor, uh, give us second wind and action, action surge, so extra hit points and uh, the ability to take an extra action in uh, each long rest, each short rest. Yeah, this means you could, you know, mechanically cast a spell, but, you know, in the fiction, use one of your luck abilities and then still uh, attack. Um, this also demonstrates the additional memories that he's gaining um, as he becomes a better fighter and is like able to use new weapons that he doesn't have any experience with fighting style probably great weapon because he likes pole arms um, or defense uh, and then you get four battle master maneuvers lots of good options here but the ones that i like are probably tactical assessment and commanding presence which lets you spend one of your dice out of combat for skill checks uh, and then ambush and commander strike and then eventually you pick up extra attack and then we'll take 11 levels of rogue. We'll I know, it's mastermind, cunning. I know. But it fits. <laughs> we'll take cunning action, of course. Uh, you can uh, take the help action for allies within 30 feet of you. You'll get uncanny dodge and evasion for a little more tankiness. Play these up as like things that just happen on their own, not things that you purposefully do. Uh, you'll get Insightful Manipulator to help you size up an opponent, and eventually your capstone is a reliable talent. Uh, Matt is good at everything that he tries, effortlessly. So, you know, an 11 on your die will help. For magic items, if you can get a Mantle of Spell Resistance, that will also help you uh, emulate the uh, medallion that he has. All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. And supporters of any level get access to our Plot Hook of the Week bonus content, which is available right now. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We have got our hands on the latest book for 5th edition D&D, Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, and we will have a cover-to-cover -cover review. Well, that's it for episode 289 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>